we we pretty much did it for all the fame and all the money. I mean, <laughs> we all know that's why you get into into Catholic podcasting. Right, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, yeah, there's... Um, My check must be in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life. Conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is Clerically Speaking, or rather we have a guest from the podcast, Clerically Speaking. It's a conversation about being a priest, being a Catholic. In fact, by the time you listen to Clerically Speaking, it's pretty much a podcast about everything mm-hmm. because Catholic life is about everything, which is kind of our theme too. I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Bishop Richard Umbers. Welcome. Kia ora. And that was New Zealand-ish, by the way. <laughs> well, it's through the month of February. We had Waitangi Day just before. There so. you go. And by Father Harrison Eyre. Did I pronounce that correctly? You did. How's it going, eh? Yeah. <laughs> You're both oh, trying out these accents here. <laughs> From the popular podcast, Clerically Speaking. Welcome. Thank you. Thank and you. Father Harrison has uh, deigned to join us. He's actually not, he didn't fly all this way from Vancouver, wasn't it? Uh, well, from Vancouver Island to Vancouver, then, but yeah, Vancouver is the main right, the main route. Okay, from pretty much almost across the entire world. Yeah, from we're, we're Pacific neighbors. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're on one end of the Pacific. You're on the other. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Although the Pacific is a rather a large piece it's of a very large. <laughs> <but> I see. <laughs> it's actually a little nerve wracking flying over all that water. You're thinking there's no land if anything goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you logged on during your flight. You you for an you hour. paid out for an hour. I saw for an that. Hour, yes. Yeah, because you were stuck. I, I was concerned because I, I I fell asleep pretty much right away, and I woke up and I realized it's Friday, <laughs> and I left I left on Wednesday night. Right. And what happened to Thursday? And so what do I do with my breviary? I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Because if you miss normally, isn't it the case that if you miss um, without good reason, that's actually it's all in yeah. canon law. It's all in canon law. Right. My canon lawyer friend said it's your. You, there was no Thursday for you, so you're not bound to pray on Thursday. Well, it was through no fault of your own. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. If you had somehow dispensed with Thursday. Yes, exactly. Yes. Anyway, before we get started, just a reminder that if you like the show, you should subscribe on your favorite podcast device. That way you won't miss an episode. You can find all the show notes, any links we mention here in the show at our website, thiscatholiclife.com.au. So let's dive right in. Why a podcast? I mean, it's funny. It seems mm-hmm. funny talking about that on a podcast, <laughs> but in terms of you guys, uh, I, I listened, re-listened to the first one recently. But I'd, I've been up to up to date with your other stuff. But I went right back to the start, and you were talking about why a podcast. Right. It seemed to come out of a community that pre-existed the podcast. Right. Is that right? That's that's right. Yeah, we we pretty much did it for all the fame and all the money. I mean, <laughs> we all know that's why you get into into Catholic podcasting. Right. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. There's um, my check must be in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no. Um, what happened was uh, Father Anthony and I are we have a little kind of what we call the priest DM on Twitter. So we right. all knew each other through Twitter initially. And then uh, it's grown from there too. And we've met in, in real life and stuff like that now too. But right. is this um, just you and he or someone else? In there's about seven of us okay. priests in this little DM group. That's a holy number. Yes, it Good. is. Yeah, it's per- this is perfection. <laughs> it's perfection. Of course, we could go into like the new creation and bring, like, then you bring a bishop in, right? And you just, it's the new creation, right? Right. Okay. (laughs) But uh, no, Uh, so yeah, we we were talking. So Father Anthony at the time was really kind of into doing these like these little teaser joke podcast standalone episodes, making fun of people like Tommy Ty, who's quite well known on. On, he had his, he used to have his podcast called The Chimney. He'd do something called The Flu, and <laughs> and uh, just making fun of that stuff. And so he, we were both reading Peterson's uh, Twelve Rules for Life at the time. We both 
were intrigued by it because everyone was talking about it. We both were a little, we had concerns. Mm-hmm. And he, so Father Anthony was like, hey, we should like do a couple standalone episodes about this. And I said, we have a pretty large following on Twitter now. Right. I So obviously, for some reason, people like listening to us. So I think we need to do something. If we're going to do this, let's do this regularly. Right. And so that's kind of how the the that kind of started. And then we we um, we 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 used Twitter to help kind of come up with some of the segment names and the podcast name itself. And then his brother Nick, who's our producer, um, helped us with all the back end stuff, and he does all the editing for us mm. and everything. So it's kind of just like it was itself the the result of not just us, but of the community of. Catholic Twitter as well. And, and the, the Summa Tweetologica. Yes, the Summa <laughs> Tweetologica. So this is Nick Sens. Nick Sens uh, from Twitter, he came up with the title of the podcast and he came up with, this. we wanted to do something. We wanted to do something what Tommy does on the chi- did on the chimney, which was, hey, let's talk about what people are doing on their tweets. Yep. And so we thought we'd do a segment on that. And then that's when Nick Sens came up with the title Summa Tweetologica. And then Nick <laughs> brilliantly made the best bumper, yeah. the most famous bumper out there. Yeah. <laughs> Don't, I'm, I'm not going to sing it. No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> the sad thing is I remember singing that in seminary when I was there, that particular tune. In it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now it's stuck in my head. <laughs> You're welcome. I have to admit that the, the take on Jordan Peterson is what got me interested originally hmm. because um, – Half the world was going nuts and saying, right. this guy's the best thing since sliced bread. And the other half of the world was saying, he's awful, he's horrible, right. he's masculine. What is it? The toxic, toxic masculinity. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I remember thinking, well, he's just a psychologist who's talking about psychology mm-hmm. and he has never pretended to be anything other than that. Right. And everyone who's getting excited on one side and making him into mm-hmm. a Catholic hero is right. probably wrong about that. Yeah. But the people who are saying, oh, we should – you know, condemn him to hell or something. Well, dude, he's mm-hmm. just a psychologist. He can only go so far. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember listening to your thing and saying, finally, someone's talking sense about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I wrote something similar in the Catholic Weekly and um, and got told, you know, by the both sides that I was an idiot. So, right. welcome to the club. Thank you. <laughs> Although you probably preceded it for a while. <laughs> now you've been around now for how long? About a year and a half now, I think, right. we, episode 79 or something. Like Which that. is quite a while in podcast language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It took off right away, right. which was weird. It was probably based on your following, though, wasn't it? That, yeah. So some people were were mentioning, like, other podcasts were mentioning how we were already bigger than they were after our first episode, <laughs> which was a little weird. Like, again, it was there was there was no intent purposes to mm. make this a big thing or anything. It just kind of went well right away and, and so well but that, that has a lot to do with the twitter community exactly yeah and, and i think that's one point where people think that social media is just frivolity which it it is mm-hmm. but there's more to it than that and exactly. and it is does it, lead to friendship full of this yeah, sort well, of frivolity for, for instance for yeah. instance it leads to real life twitter meetups yeah which is exactly. how you guys would have connected with other priests right like and it's funny because like when we started the podcast we still hadn't met person to person yet it right. wasn't until October when we did the first kind of multi-priest episode. Right. Um, that was when we first um, actually met in real life. But that's the thing about Twitter and stuff like, yeah, there's actually there's actually really good, like I've been, I've been saying to people, I wouldn't be here without Twitter this yep. week. I wouldn't be in Australia without Twitter. Is it Tom Goulet who's your Yeah, contact? Tom Goulet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. He is a, he's a great guy. Yeah. And so th- this is, this is actually a really good thing about Twitter is like, it leads to a lot of friendships. It leads to so many when, when friendships. I, when I travelled, I've been twice now to the United States, 
and I catch up with all sorts of people who I've had relationship with through basically sharing memes. Seriously, if you meet someone yeah. at a at a friend's house or something, you're contact is 90% just joking around, having yeah. some fun, yeah. that kind of thing anyway. So sharing yeah. memes online is not that different to to just an ordinary social context because right. after a while you finally get down to some meaty topics or something. But yeah. Mm, uh, well, but, but that's what – but it, it allows, though, for you to meet like-minded people. Yes. I think. And uh, it was one of the things I did when I was in – I went to New York for the first time and there's a priest from Melbourne who was there, and he said, "Oh, we've got to catch up. We've got to catch up." And I said, "Okay," but I didn't tell him that there were a few other people going to be joining us. <laughs> and then when he met, you know, Kev and, mm-hmm. uh, and, a, and a few others, yeah. and uh, he's going, "Wait a moment, is this a Twitter meetup?" <laughs> <laughs> but no, like that's been amazing. Like, I've um, because of Twitter, I did it. I've gotten to know a family, and I did their daughter's first communion. Right. Right. Um, because she had some social anxiety issues. So they needed to do something more private. And I've become good friends with them, mm-hmm. right? Because of Twitter, I'm here. Because of Twitter, uh, I've traveled to other places now just because I'm like, I enjoy your company so much. I want to meet you yep. in person, right? So um, it, it's really, it, social media can be used for good. I mean, yeah, it's used for bad. But if you have, if you, and, in, and we have also grown our own virtue with it over time too, mm-hmm. right? So it really becomes this, it becomes something that brings about new community in a, in a beautiful way. And I don't know, I can't help but speak good of it because of that. Is there a danger? So you talked about the, the proper use and growing, you talked about growing and maturity mm-hmm. with, with social media. Mm-hmm. What's what, When you say growing, what mm-hmm. sort of things would you talk about in terms of your mature approach to that? So I've noticed, I, we did um, like another fruit of social media was Father Auntie and I and then Sister Teresa Althea and then, a friend of ours, uh, Shannon Last, we were asked to do a panel at Notre Dame in November on social media and friendship. Right. And it was there that I kind of started praying over this, realizing that we use social media like moderns, which is we see it as an extension of us, of the self, mm-hmm. right? Something used for self-expression rather than actually an encounter with a person. Yes. And so when we use it the former way, even as Catholics, which is how we often tend to use it, we can get biting, we can get annoyed we can get quick we can get snarky we can start to troll people subtweet people and in t- like in a harsh way etc mm-hmm. and that doesn't do any good so for me now it's been really trying to be purposeful about saying okay i don't disagree i disagree with this how can i do this in charity yes right and that's how something I've, I've had to grow i've been snarky right i've been quick to respond i have i've been called out for a few things and rightfully so and people and that's but that's been the other beautiful thing is people having the courage to say hey I don't really agree with this. I don't know if it was even the right thing for you to say. Yep. And I would take it to conversation into prayer and say, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have. And I apologize, right? And that's a good thing. It's just, it's out there for everyone to see. But it's yep. it's difficult because with humor and especially the kind of humor that memes, for instance, right. bring with them, it, there's a certain level of snark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, you know, navigate that? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But also how do you deal with it when, because not everyone who's offended is actually got you know got reason for offence. Like there are people who seem to to get um, get a thrill out of being offended. That's mm-hmm. the it's the mode of, modus operandi. But you know, each time someone says I'm offended, you got to think through. All right, well, to what extent is this right. valid? Yeah. To what extent is it not valid? Right. And then um, that's where you have friends though too. You can say, Hey, am I wrong here? Mm-hmm. And they'll say yes or no. Right? I have mm-hmm. friends who will be very honest with me, and they'll say, No, no, you were wrong there. 
or yeah. you weren't. No, no, you're fine. Some people, that person, I don't know why they're offended. Right. And and you because you you're right. You can't. Uh, well, I mean, to bring up a, a, a specific example, uh-huh. uh, there was one time when, I mean, you, look, it's 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 hey, here comes everybody, yeah. which is we know is the definition <laughs> yeah. of the church, but. Uh, there was one particular person very upset with you mm-hmm. uh, and maybe Father Anthony because, simply because for the mere fact of being online. Right. Do you remember that one? I, I've had it a few times. I've had a few people that, that were offended that a priest is online? Yes. Yeah, okay. That was yeah. it. Priests should not be on Twitter. Right. It's, it's against the dignity of our priesthood. Right. So one of your vows was Amish. Yes, um, exactly. Right. right. Okay. Okay. Yes, yes. Um, and and what ha- I mean, because there's the thing you start to discover. There's sub communities and stuff like this, and, mm-hmm. and subcultures of Twitter, because there's Catholic Twitter, and then there's a lot of the little subsets. And you might be totally ignorant of some of these subsets. Then they just come out of the dark one day, <laughs> and you're just like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> like bear down the hatches, you know? Like it's coming. <laughs> um, yeah, and you be that's where you have your friends to support you, right? Which is such an important thing because you realize like. You know, you, I do bring social media to prayer, right? Because I want to make sure I'm not overly attached to it. I want to make sure I'm not doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that, um, and and so on and so forth. And to make sure, yeah, like is this something? Is something what I'm saying or doing contrary to the dignity of who, what I've been ordained into? Yep. I haven't come to that yet, thankfully. But mm. um, like, I haven't come to those negative judgments about myself, which is a good thing. But I also think that. You know, some you're going to get a lot of hate sometimes. Okay, and you just have to. And some but, people deal with that differently. But yeah. that's part of being bruised in the streets. Yeah, what what Pope Francis mm-hmm. uh, is asking of us, and it, it is a way of this. It's not a novelty. It's not something. Oh well, you know, you could take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. This is a way of being. Yes, and it's kind of funny, even with people our own age. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you've noticed I've, I've been a little less engaged in social media just right. over the last while and probably have a bit of extra work to do uh, <laughs> coming back from things. But when I say, you know, when I mention that to people, well, yeah, it's true. I've, I've been a bit less engaged on social media. They, they take that as a positive. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, oh, good. Oh, good. you're being you know. more prayerful. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But I don't know that that is actually a good thing. <laughs> right. but, you know. Yeah. No, I, cause I, I agree. I think... Um, Pope Benedict talks about social media being like we live in a digital continent now, right? So this mm-hmm. is a new it's it's a new sphere, it's a new place of being, right? Mm-hmm. And so, how is the church going to react? To this? I mean, yes, there are things the church will never be able to do on there. We cannot we cannot offer absolution through a tweet, right? Um, and and and, and we, there's a lot of things we can't do, but there are some things we can do through it, mm-hmm. and I think we have to be there um, mm-hmm. because if we're not people younger than us, this is where they're, they are most of the time. I think if I remember correctly hearing that the stat was something like teenagers are, and I might be misquoting the stat a little bit, but teenagers are on their phones like if they ask the question most of the time is the answer they give. So yep. like something like 70% of the time outside of their normal stuff, they're on their phone. Yep. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But right. let me ask you this. I've been described in the generation as being the digital immigrant. Mm-hmm. So when I was growing up, we mm-hmm. didn't have computers. Right. I discovered computers as a teenager, which mm-hmm. is a dangerous time to discover. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was on the first wave of you know programming and right. going in and stuffing around and playing the you know the more advanced games, and um, have ridden that wave all the way through. But I'm still a person who thinks 
as an immigrant. Right. Whereas my children are digital natives. Right. They've grown up and they've never known any other world. And so for them, it's a different right. thing. I can talk about the opportunities of the new country, if you mm -hmm. like, but I don't live in it and I don't see the necessity of inhabiting it because right. it's still an, another place for me. And it's interesting. I feel like I'm kind of an in-between. Right. I remember, I do remember a time, before, I remember my grandma's rotary phone, right? <laughs> I remember using it, right? Yes. So yep. I, I have times where we didn't have a personal computer in the house until I was in grade five. Right. So I'm of that generation. I almost look at it kind of like if you have like an immigrant family, you're the first children where you're still in the family. You're rooted in that culture, right? right. Like if you're like, like in, our, in Victoria, there's a lot of Filipinos. So you, so you have like a lot of first generation Canadians in those families. They're very much in the Canadian culture, but also very mm. much in the Filipino culture too. And it kind of comes together. It's a bit of a- Mikey Bustos. It, sorry? Mikey Bustos. I have no idea. You've never come, oh, you have to YouTube Mikey Bustos. Okay. He's, he's a <laughs> Filipino comedian in okay. Canada. Yeah, but yeah, so like this is, that's where I find I'm at. And so there's, I, at the same time with that, then it's still something you've grown up naturally with. Right. And so but I my, feel more at ease with it. My point was, yeah. is that I still see it as a, a kind of a mission activity going into the, into oh, the various okay, social media. Yeah. But my children inhabit that space. Yeah. They live there. Yeah. And uh, so it's not just, oh, I'll do this when I've got spare time. Right. It's if I want to be engaged with them, I have to. But, but so it, it always um, uh, puzzles me when people say, oh, you're using social media or something like that. It's like, well, <laughs> I, you drive a car. <laughs> <laughs> it's so novel. You flew in a plane. You, <laughs> yeah. Right. This is just, this is how people are now. Right. Where the... And I don't think the right reaction is to say, well, look at how much bad it does. Look at how poisonous it is. Look at how much kids are distracted by their phone. You can't change that. Mm -hmm. We don't have the power to change that, that cultural tidal wave. What we do have the power to do is to engage people there, though. Right. And I think that's why the church has to be there. One of the topics that you raised in your podcast was Catholic hip-hop. And there was an, it really, oh gosh, this is an old one. Yeah, this is where we're going with this because you've <laughs> talked about the good or bad right. potentially of social media. But one of the discussions you had was about um, that you, I think I remember you saying you didn't like having Catholic anything. Right. Because Catholic, to say Catholic hip hop makes out as if there's, there's a kind of a, a, a different brand of hip hop or, mm -hmm. or you should have certain standards for Catholic hip hop that's different from everywhere else. Right. And I think I remember you saying that this quite clearly that. There should just be hip hop, right? Well, there's a clip. You know the clip from King of the Hill, where the Christian preacher comes out with the electric guitar. I don't know. And little clip. Bobby's there, and and the dad's, you know, anyway, and he goes, "Testify," <laughs> yeah, with the electric guitar, and, oh, no. and the dad says, "You're not making Christianity any better. You're just making rock and roll worse." <laughs> exactly. There is a great South Park episode about this too, uh, where where Cartman decides that. To become rich, he's just going to start a Christian band. Oh, yeah. Right? So where, yeah, where, yeah, where, yeah, all you have to do is on, you have to replace yeah. the word love with the word Jesus, and <laughs> yeah. then you'll settle million records, and they become one of the biggest Christian bands out there, right? Oh, but, this yeah. is, but this is the idea. It's like we don't need – Catholicity doesn't need to have an adjective in front of an art. Right. Right? That's not how – it's not like um, Caravaggio is like, I'm a Catholic artist. Right. <laughs> right? He was an artist that obvi obviously – Catholicism flows deeply out of out of into the art, right? But it you don't need that adjective, and yeah, because what it does, it just makes it like if you hear something or Catholic something, 
I always cringe because 99% of the time it's going to be bad. Well, there's, there's <laughs> I, I mean, there's a Rick and Morty episode. So we're, yeah. we're, we're going to go. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Good. I like Rick and Morty. Yeah. Yeah. With the, the floating heads. Yeah. And they have the song contest. Yes. Yes. And, and then what's the girl's, what's the sister's name? Oh, um, I forget her name right now, but um, yeah, uh, but anyway, so yeah. she she's going through this conversion to the whatever the religion is, and right? It's just like World Youth Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, getting swifty. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Oh, <laughs> but it was dear. so funny. It was just, but but it pretty yeah. basically, I mean, look, hey, disclaimer here. I think youth things are good. Okay, yes, I think they're yes, good. They're yes, good. Yes, good. Yes, yes, yes. But it, gee, it's funny. It is <laughs> funny because yeah, it's like we have this. We have this sense that we need. Like we have. I think it's part of the question of things around acculturation and stuff like this. That we feel that we need to take on the culture of the youth and then put a Catholic label on it. Right. And then people will like it. Right. It's, right. it's, it's like, that's never, that has never been good. No. Right. It's, it, it, it has a, it has a, um, a weird sense of like nature and grace. Right. Which is like this idea that grace kind of gets imposed upon nature. Mm. That's not the Christian worldview. Mm. Right. There, there is an openness in us towards the good of the world and, and God's grace is always working in the goodness of the world. And, and so just do it and mm. let your, like, I, like for me, one of my favorite bands is Mumford and Sons. Right. I love them. I think, and I think there's actually deeply Christian themes and, and they love Chesterton and stuff like this, but none of them are practicing Christians. They've been raised in that world, but they are, none of them are practicing, but you hear kind of this um, engagement between the Christian worldview and kind of almost like an existentialist, almost nihilistic or absurdist worldview coming together. And I find that really interesting, but they don't need to put that as a label. They're just doing music. Right. And that's beautiful. And that and they're, and they're very popular because, or they at least were very popular because of that. Mm. And that's the way that someone like Tolkien approached as well. Yeah, exactly. That's why he, like, Tolkien actually got mad at Lewis, right? Yeah. He goes, mm. you're being like, you know, this is a little too on the nose. Right, uh, Tolkien's like, no, you can do it differently. Yeah, I, I I agree with Tolkien on that one. Yeah, and and it's interesting that you now have to argue with people that Tolkien was Catholic, like which I find so weird. Yeah, because people, some people, are like, oh no, you're not sealing him. He just happened to be in that world, but it's quite clear, clearly, oh, that was his motivation. I mean, yeah, that was his deeply. Motivation. So apparently, I haven't seen the new movie, but that doesn't come through. Right. Okay. His Catholicism, they don't which is really what what drove the guy. Yeah, mm. interesting. We're going to have to do another show on um, on the movie "Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood" because mm. his Christianity did come through in that movie, right? Okay. Rogers one, and that's mm. a very interesting story. Leaving that aside, um, coming back to uh, different topics which have come up in your podcast, mm -hmm. which have been really interesting. I, I mean, all of them are interesting, but the anxiety and depression and how mm. to deal with them—that's mm -hmm. become a bit more topical um, recently when you've had some quite. Um, I'm going to be come out and say loopy guys on uh, claiming to be exorcists who are coming hmm. out and saying that PTSD and things like this are just need to be exercised. As a well, I had, really, I have not heard yeah. this yet. I'm going to have to look this up. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> perhaps um, without trying to sum up your episode on that, yeah. um, your take on clearly in pastoral ministry, we come across a lot of um, anxiety and depression. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that episode was one of, it's a, it's one of our our popular ones, and partially because it's one where Father Anthony really bore his heart out. Right, mm. something he he struggles with anxiety. Right? right, and he mentioned this clearly, and I think people really appreciated knowing they weren't alone in that. So that was really good because I think in in pastoral ministry, it's the the life of like if you will the life of the world and the life of God 
or the supernatural and the natural, they're always at play with each other. And one never destroys the other or, or, or anything like that. So when you're dealing with people who are like, when you're hearing confessions or you're doing pastoral guidance, you have to always kind of have an open ear and listening and thinking, okay, this person's got, or maybe it's like family of origin issues or something like this, right? Mm -hmm. You have to kind of listen for that and say, okay, this part, I actually can't help you with on the human level. Right. Because I'm not a psychologist or anything like that, but I can help you. Let's let's say it's family of origin. I can help you come to a, an encounter with God the Father. So just for our listeners yeah. who aren't up with the language, family of origin means yeah. that there's some sort of issue from their family history, yeah. from the background of their circumstances, which is having an impact on them. And it might not be their fault. Right. In fact, it very right. rarely is yeah. their fault. Yeah. Um, so that's what we mean by family exactly. of origin. Exactly. Yeah. And at the same time, too, we have to be wary of over-psychologizing to the point that the spiritual has nothing to say right. either, right? It's about having a healthy balance. Like, So, for example, when I was at the cathedral, I did a lot of work with young men who were struggling with pornography addiction stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Often you do, I say, okay, this is what I can do. And then I, we had actually had a, a counselor on staff. So I'd say, okay, you got to go talk to them about this stuff. You can talk to me here. And, and it worked really well. It was yep. really beautiful because we're dealing, I'm not an expert in counseling. I'm not an expert in, in psychology and psychiatry. And I need to lean on those things because there are, there are sciences that can help develop mm -hmm. and, and and same thing with anxiety and and depression um you need the help on those regards but as a priest you also need to say just because you need those things doesn't mean there's not a spiritual answer to part of the question at least right. how can so if i'm struggling with anxiety how can i encounter god in this even in the midst of it right, right. that is something i can absolutely help you with and i want to right that's going to strengthen you as you're trying to deal with it on the human level too so the human and the spiritual, the supernatural and the natural, uh, they they kind of coincide and they play with each other and you need to kind of address that and know and be aware of that. It's a time. denial of the incarnation to exactly. some extent to separate them. And so yes. It's like saying if someone, even if I can put it really bluntly, if someone's suffering from a very serious illness, you don't say it's all spiritual, let's pray and we'll be right. done with it. You say get the best help that medicine yeah. has to offer and now we can talk about the spiritual element of that and how that, that plays out in your life. I mean, youth are always asking about this topic of mental health, and right. it's the number one concern mm -hmm. that comes through. And I think anxiety is so widespread. Mm -hmm. Show me someone, especially a younger person, but you know, ourselves included, but show me a younger person who doesn't experience anxiety to some extent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's, 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 it's, it's a, a real issue. And the church is speaking out more and more on this. I mean, the Bishop's Conference has put out uh, a letter uh, in, in that regard mm -hmm. uh, with about not only about social media but also about mental health right uh, and, and youth are always asking too what can you as the church say to us right. about this yeah. and at the same time the church then also has to reflect theologically and even philosophically okay, why is this suddenly why is this arising this way why is it grow because it seems to me outside observer maybe but seems to me these issues were not as strong 20, 30 years ago. I think families is the answer to that question. Right. We're just collapsing as fa families are collapsing. There's also because of the growth of social media, there's um, you you compare yourself so easily to others and you see yep. perfect people all the time and you think I'm I can't live up to like there's all sorts of factors that are playing into how we become anxious and we need yep. to ask those questions so we can engage with those realities properly. So here's the thing um, that often comes up in social media things. There's a difference between a shame and a guilt culture. Yes. In the Catholic understanding of things, guilt, like lots of people criticize Catholics for having a guilt culture. Right. But guilt I can take to God and walk away. Right. Like say, exactly. <laughs> Please God forgive me. Forgiven, walk away. Whereas shame is about when I've fallen 
there's no coming back from that. Exactly. And it seems that in some respects, Twitter and Facebook and these things cancelled. Yeah, if you if you <laughs> if you step over a certain line, yep. you're gone. Yeah, and that there's a massive turf war going on. Uh, that was an unintended pun there between the the radical feminists and the and the trans activists at the moment on <laughs> Twitter. Yes, and the yeah. trans activists are calling them turfs, which is yes. quite a pun. But um, trans exclusionary radical, radical feminists. feminists. Yes, but the, the, the entire leaving that issue aside, you've got a massive war going on, and unless you're on the right side here, you, it's basically shutdown mode, mm-hmm. and and there's a just coming back to the anxiety thing, I'm seeing a profound anxiety amongst young people. They're terrified of actually committing themselves to anything, mm-hmm. even no matter how trivial, mm-hmm. unless they feel the tribe's going this way because yep. they there's a desperate fear. Because I mean, guilt culture is much healthier by comparison. Mm-hmm. At least I'm, you know, I can mm-hmm. take my guilt somewhere and it has a positive outcome. Whereas mm-hmm. the the shutdown or the shame thing is a is a massive deal. In some respects, younger people are thrashing back. Uh, the OK Boomer thing um, is something you guys dealt with. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I, I mean, yeah. I love to see a boomer slap down, and that's probably a really bad thing, and I should take that to confession. But <laughs> well, boomerism is not an, it's not an age, is it? No, it's not. This is the point, is to say it's not an age. But the OK Boomer thing just seems like another way to slap people down without actually listening to what they've got to say or their answer. Yeah. yeah, and I think this is, I mean, um, there's... With with boomerism or what, what, yeah, like the OK Boomer thing was was what it creates a tribalism that right. I don't think is healthy, right? right? Um, so who are the tribes here in this right. model? So I would say so. I would say Zoomers and Boomers, right? So Zoomers are <laughs> even, not me, right? It's the generation younger than me. Um, I'm I'm a millennial, right? I'm on the edge of millennial, but uh, millennial. And then um, then you have so you have then you have Gen X, then you have Boomers, and then you have Zoomers who are the up and the, the younger kids right. now. And then there's people uh, my age which are the Zimmers. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, but yeah, no, so we just yeah. don't count. Yeah. Gen yeah, X, yeah. Is, forget it. Yeah, but no, this is, um, don't your day will come. Don't worry. I'm wondering. I'm wondering when they're going to start playing. You know, 1970s, 1980s music in the in the retirement homes. Mm. <laughs> they probably are already playing Bon yeah. Jovi there. There you go. As Muzak. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, what, what's what it is? It's it. I mean, the Zoomers are very frustrated with the world the Boomers have created for them, mm-hmm. and so what. But what they do is they just lash out at anyone of that generation. I don't think that's healthy or fair or good. Right. Um, just I mean, and it's but it goes both ways. Yep. Because what the Boomers tend to do is they'll say, "Kids these days, they don't know how to work. <laughs> They're lazy. Blah blah blah." Yep. You know, they they quote unquote have anxiety, but they you know they don't know what it means to suffer to to yep. raise your family and stuff like this, and they're speaking past each other. Yep. And what happens, and so you create a tribalism that refuses to listen. Yeah. Right. And I think this is, I mean, it, it, it grows beyond just generational turf wars. It grows into how we act on social media. I need to listen. Yeah. I need to be, I need to be receptive. Like I need to be Marion. Right. Also, you need to listen behind the words too, because yeah. often when someone comes in the rage, and they're throwing something at you. You got to think, where is this coming from? Right. They've invested a huge amount of effort and emotion right. in this. What's it coming from? And I, I can, I think, for the boomers, the reason they get so frustrated is they think I worked so hard to create a world where you wouldn't have to suffer, and uh, and they're just be seeing that three thrown back in their face. Right. And 
to an extent, the world without suffering actually has been a, a disservice rather than a service to right. the following generations, I think. Mm. So there's those deeper conversations. And again, a lot of people aren't even always aware of their deep-seated ideologies or worldviews that they're kind of expressing when they say a phrase like, you know, kids these days don't know how to work hard or whatever, right? It, it's, it's, we need to, we don't know how to listen. <laughs> we don't know how to listen. And I think, so that, I mean, because I, I kind of, I hear what you're saying, right? Like I, there is that little part of me that says, yeah, when like a, a, a boomerist phrase or mentality gets slapped down, I, I don't exactly cry and lose sleep over <laughs> it, right? Because there are things that came from that generation that I find very frustrating. But that's because we're the, we're the generation that first began to feel frustrated with it. Yeah. Now, I suspect, as the bishop has indicated, I suspect we'll get our turn and we'll be the, the get off my lawn sort of generation and they'll, yeah. they'll be whinging about what we've done to the world. Yep. And we'll probably have just then learned our lesson about right. how to listen, perhaps. And but in the church... Made the managers listen anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but in the church, we cannot function this way. No. We're a family. Yes. Right? So, yeah, there are different generations in here. And so how do we function as a family? I was listening to it was another podcast um, by called The Crunch that uh, some younger guys are, are running. And, and Pat was talking about how he went to a Knights of Columbus meeting one day. And the Knights of Columbus, I don't know you guys have in here in Australia? We have Knights of the Southern okay. Cross, which okay. is similar. Okay. So um, he went to a meeting, did his initiation, and it was all guys over 60 right. who were there. And they're going up to him, you're my brother now and everything like that. And they, he was like, this is what the church is actually meant to be. It shouldn't matter that I'm 24 and this guy's 60. We're all one in Christ. And we need to actually like make that our kind of modus operandi, our, the, the place we act out of. Mm. In, in a good parish, in a good parish, that's what, what you in fact see. There's, yeah, exactly. There's, there's genuine community which exactly. flows from our common worship. Exactly. And you have all generations represented and mixing socially with each other. Exactly. Remember once I, I was chaplain of a university college. This is mm -hmm. going back a few years, mm -hmm. and we were having a fundraiser, but with the Sri Lankan community, and they have very naturally, you know, grandparents, yep. parents, yep. young mm -hmm. people, everyone's there at the party. And one of the uh, students was really funny. He refused to go along to this fundraiser, and we thought, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" He said, it's too wholesome. <laughs> wow, <laughs> interesting. Too wholesome. Interesting. <laughs> It's funny. We, it's like we can't have fun without being just a little bit offbeat or more, or naughty or or, <laughs> or breaking something or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. <laughs> it's funny. My kids though, they get right into. They want to sing certain songs, which I think, gosh, this is really old Sunday school stuff. Yeah. And they get into it because there's different things they don't do anymore, like sing in harmony and muck mm -hmm. around and, and right. do rounds or things like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Things that I took for granted and kind of got bored with. Right. And they're really into. Um, mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, with the day the bush dancers start to come back, then I'll start to be <laughs> worried about that. Well, they they're back, you reckon? Sometimes, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grab your partner by the hand. I didn't mind the but the, yeah, the music distressed me. Um, <laughs> you had anxiety on the music. So the most recent episode that I've listened to, mm -hmm. at least, uh, was the Broken Parish model. Mm. Talk talk to me about that. So this was Father Anthony's topic again, and he was. He's, we, he was reflecting, he, uh, Pittsburgh's in the midst of massive reorganization and we were just, we were just kind of reflecting on it is the, is the way we even structure parishes now working. Right. So the old idea of a parish right. is a certain boundary of right. people with this kind of um, office in it right. and these kinds of right. functions. So yeah, this is something I was, I was actually even just talking to Bishop Umbers about last night. 
so even since that episode, I've been reflecting on it more and more because I think what has happened is at least in Western Anglo culture, we've developed parishes according to the model of secular institutions rather than ecclesial institutions. Right. So we form them according to a bureaucratic model. Right. Where you have hoops you have to go through and steps you have to complete that actually have nothing to do with the life of the church. You want your kid to get baptized? Great. Here's a five-page document that you need to fill right. out before you get to get baptized, right? And you have to go through the seven-week baptism prep course. There is nothing in the church that says you need any of this, right. right? The church has never been structured this way. But in the Western Anglo sphere, we've developed this way, and we think we need to, and we keep on trying to uphold this, and I'm thinking maybe we need to rethink how we understand parish and how we understand institution. Right. Because there is an institutional element to the church. There will always be an institutional element because we're human beings. We need institutions. Sure. Um, you can't run away from that. And so... But if it, sound, it feels like we're filling out a tax form when we come to the church, it's not going to be very enticing. Exactly, exactly. Like I, I have a friend, he just moved. He's in Edmonton, Canada, and, and he just moved, and uh, they just had a baby, and they wanted me to come out to do the baptism. I said, great, just go talk to the parish priest and let me know, right? Um, so he, he goes over there to the parish, talks to the secretary, and the secretary says, well, you're not registered in this parish. He goes, but I live in the boundaries. <laughs> but you're not registered here. Right. I'm like, okay. And she goes, you can't have him baptized or you can't have your child baptized until you're, reg you're registered. You get envelopes. You show yourself a consistent parishioner of the parish. And I'm like, that is like not how canon law structures things. It, right. it right. sounds like it's treated actually apostles, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you get a little wistful you go. in the eyes, right? It's like, oh, it's like, this is just like when Peter and Paul were around. <laughs> 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 right? No, but like, it, it's, it's it, like, that is destroying us. So I have another friend. They want to, they're getting married. Again, I'm going out to do the wedding for them in, in, in DC in November. And she goes to the parish office and nothing like, this is beautiful. Wow, congratulations. You have to wait until six months before the marriage before you can book a date at the parish. And I think this is one of the difficulties where you lose contact with actual practice of the faith yeah. in its organization. Yeah. So one of the issues, um, well, not so much an issue, but one of the great opportunities you have in going, say, oh, I took officials mm -hmm. to the March for Life, mm -hmm. and you see all these people as a, an expression of their faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, with joy and the commitment, even the young adults that we that, that went with us, you know, I mean, so f superior to what we were at that age mm -hmm. uh, in terms of their commitment to the faith. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you're moved by that. And then, so the oldies, mm -hmm. we see it and we go, okay, so this is the fruit of our day-to-day -day bureau bureaucratic work. <laughs> but you realize, well, this is actually what it's about. It's, it's, it's the spirit that gives life. Exactly. And, and in a parish, um, there's a... a, a book who wrote this book about uh priests that do that just uh, sort of like caretaker priests versus priests who are evangelists there's uh, a number of books one of them is it Weig did weigel write one of these he could have but there's a there, a long time ago a book called um working the angles was written by eugene peterson where he talked about his opening line is american pastors that are abandoning their posts hmm. they're, they're leaving the shop they're walking out and basically what he was saying is they're still there but they've turned into religious shopkeepers right and they're just they're maintaining but there is a, the, the there's structures. a tendency. So I mean, I've I've had a stint as parish priest, right? Uh, and you know, I'm mm -hmm. becoming a, a diocesan bishop, the whole thing is mm -hmm. you know, immersion into the world would be the the, the bureaucracy. Uh, and I can, but I can see 
I can see um, the the forces at work that would perhaps lead a priest to kind of interiorly give up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and think, well, why bother? Yeah, you know, because if 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 the appetite on behalf of of the the bishops and the people who work with them is just don't make waves, just yes. don't mm-hmm. get into trouble, and if you get into trouble when the bureaucratic machine in some way gets a, a spanner in the works mm-hmm. yeah yeah so in other words what you get held accountable for is how well the machine moves right? it's about the process yes. more than the outcome right yeah. and people respond to the process because if that's what they're held accountable for that's mm-hmm. what they're going to yeah uh, but that's but the, so those are the, the the practical incentives what do mm-hmm. we reward what do we punish right mm-hmm. in practice yes so when you get a complaint from the parish you change the mass time well, are you going to get a rap over the knuckles from the vicar general or not? Right. Now, the way I've had this explained to me by someone else, and I thought it was very wise, I said, well, if the complaint was warranted, one complaint is too many. Mm-hmm. But if the complaints are not warranted, then 10 or 20 doesn't really matter. Right. So, I mean, then it gets, yeah. when is it warranted? But, right. but, but in a certain sense, if we're going to take risks, if we're going to proclaim the gospel, if we're going to be evangelists and actually preach the truth, yes, we need encouragement to do it with love mm. to do it appropriately mm. to be situationally aware mm-hmm. but we still need to take an interest in souls right mm. well then this is the thing like suprema because you know, yeah my, my experience and i've been a pastor for just over two years now and my experience is though at the same time like a lot of parishioners they've been raised in the kind of institutional model that we've portrayed parishes to be and that's what they think needs to be supported. Like, um, it's also a consumerism involved. Oh my god! Yeah, oh I'm, my god! I'm if I don't get my out. way, I'm stopping donating. But I'm still going to come to mass. I'm still going to use this building. It's electricity and everything, but I'm not going to give. Like, that's <laughs> theft. That is theft. I'm sorry. This is theft. Um, but um, yeah, so you have this. These. I'm like, we've. This is how we built up the church. And I don't know. I'm starting to get little things into how this all started. Mm. It, it, it's disturbing because this is not actually, because this is the thing, how parishes are, are, are organized today has not how it's always been. And it's actually only about the last hundred years that we've organized right. parishes this way. So people are used to, to it being this way. And they think, and then the priest gets overworked because he has to deal with every single little issue. And everyone thinks everything needs to happen inside the institution yep. of the parish. I'm like, no, like parish work happens. If a family invites another family over, that's parish work. Because yep. you're members of the parish. You're in that boundary. That's parish work. And well, we need to start thinking more canonically about how we're instituted rather than kind of secular institutions. And like the other thing with that is, is I've, and I, cause then, okay, what does this look like? So the thing I mentioned in the episode, I think it was towards the end, is um, I've been reading Pope Benedict's DS of Jesus Christ for some spiritual reading because um, I love Benedict and I read him all the time. I'm doing my doctorate on him. So, um, so I'm reading this and he talks about the new evangelization at the end of his chapter on faith. He says, I, I, want, I want to make a warning about the new evangelization, he says, because he says we're too quick to make it into a program right, or into a five-step plan. Or he goes, but I want to tell you about a time in the church that where it grew exponentially every year and they had no pastoral programs. There were no five-year plans. There were no mission statements or vision statements. <laughs> Is this, is this, am I hitting too close to home? No, no, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, uh, but <laughs> he, uh, he goes, they loved one another. Right. And they lived the Christian life as a total way of life. Mm-hmm. And they understood 
that being a member of a parish or a church was not just something you did on Sunday, but that is actually a way of life that you lived together in common all the time. Yep. He goes, that was the early church when she was being persecuted, when she when her members were being killed. She was growing at a rate of about 40% a year. Mm-hmm. We would kill for those numbers, right? He goes, and they didn't even stand on corners evangelizing. But because of how they loved one another, because they lived the Christian life as a total way of life, yep. people saw it and said, I want, I want to know what that is. I, said, I want that. Something I say to my students often is that if, if when we've gone through 1 Corinthians, for example, mm-hmm. if you say, if we, if 20 families mm-hmm. in this parish lived this way mm-hmm. and people looked in and saw the unattractive, the, the hard-to-love people being loved, they would go, I want a piece of whatever you exactly. guys are having. Exactly. What is it? Because that's different and it's and it's attractive mm-hmm. in itself. But if we walk out of communion like we've just sucked a lemon <laughs> and if we, if we act as if anyone's offending us just by being in our space, you know, this yeah. is my perfect religious space, don't upset the, yeah. the resonance, um, then we're, we're not going to be attractive. doesn't that, matter that, how that's cool That's one it of is. the memes, isn't it? You know, the just left mass or just left church, now go uh, abuse one of the... Uh, Fast food workers. Or right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like it's a me. Yeah, I. My parish is a little bit older, um, and we have, but we also have a lot of like Filipinos who've mm. moved into town and stuff. I've had Filipinos come and say, you know, the parishioners, they say racist things to me and stuff like that. I'm like, like it breaks my heart, right? Yeah. And I've had to challenge people on this. I'm like, if you're saying this, you need to go to confession. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is not how you. You don't receive the Lord and then go out and yell at someone because, you know, you got, they, they act, because, hey, they made a mistake and they accidentally put pickles on your burger or whatever, right? right? That's not the Christian way. Hmm. And if that's what you're doing, you're actually an anti-sacrament. <laughs> that's that's a really good point. And basically, we're supposed to, I mean, what do we say at the end of the Mass? There's all different varieties of it, but basically go out and live what you've just what you've just received. Right. Well, that's like St. Augustine's phrase, right? Christian, become what you receive. Right, become the body of Christ you receive, which is not just an individual um, exhortation, but it's an ecclesial exhortation. Yeah, the church, this local church, become what you receive. But this this sounds awfully like individual conversion. Oh dear, dear, these Protestant ideas. No, sorry. Um, we challenging Catholics to live their faith. Sherry Waddell was on this podcast some time ago now, but. She was coming to people and asking them this specific question. What's your relationship with Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and what does it look like in your life mm-hmm. and, and where does that go? And mm-hmm. her her various um, steps towards that is thing. Probably a good time to wrap up the, okay. this particular podcast. Um, that's it for this week's podcast. If today's discussion got you thinking or arguing with your podcast device, let us know. You can subscribe to this podcast at our website, thiscatholiclife.com.au. Tell us what you like or what you didn't like or what you'd like us to discuss in the future. Drop us a line at info at thiscatholiclife.com.au and you can catch up with us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or any of the uh, usual social medias. Uh, Be sure to write us a review. Uh, Remember that you have to be signed into iTunes to do that. But remember this is a uniquely Australian Catholic podcast and we think that's an idea worth getting behind. So tell your friends. Before we go, it's time for shout outs. Bishop. Shout out to Box. To box <laughs> the box and all all the, all the fellow artists. There you go, Ryan Galliott, who's also a co-host on the show, and all fellow artists in that area who are not Catholic artists; they're just artists who happen to be Catholic. <laughs> 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 
Father Harrison. Uh, shout out to first to Father Anthony and Nick and Riley, our clerically speaking team. Uh, shout out to the students at UND who I just went to give a talk to. God bless you guys. It was great to get to know you. Uh, and shout out to anyone who I know from who I've met here in Sydney. It's been a great time uh, spending to get into know uh, get into Australia a little bit. You know, I I'll, I made a little. I wanted to drop a little joke. I I, uh, <laughs> I uh, someone asked me the first day I got here. They said, "Hey, what, what's what's your first impressions of, of Australia?" I said, "Well, it's like Great Britain and Canada came together, and they had a baby." <laughs> And that's, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It so is. It's been a great time. I have to say when I went to the States, um, I spent, uh, I think it was about a week and a half, maybe nearly two weeks in the States. And I got to Canada to visit a friend as, yeah. as a side trip for my work trip. And I got there and said, please give me some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to talk to someone who has a sense of humor. And um, who has, whose money's cl- does, colored, right? Does and they Canada, put a U after O in color. What does Canada, here's, what does the coffee like between Australia and Canada? Um, uh, coffee's good in Canada. Coffee's okay. I mean, it depends, good in Canada? Well, yeah. it depends on where you're going, yeah. right? Okay. Like everyone goes to Tim Hortons and I think Tim Hortons is trash. <laughs> the another Mike, the, the producer, is also from Canada and has an opinion on this. Now, I have to say, after two weeks in America, I should say this is I should be very clear. Two weeks in American hotels, yeah, I was very grateful to go to Timmy Hortons, yeah. Um, yeah, and I've been told since that I shouldn't judge America based on what they serve in hotels. Right? Yes, 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 yes. So, yeah. But that was an awful experience. Yes. Somebody warned me about cheese in America, and I went, "What?" And I didn't believe them. And they were right. Yes, they were right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to say. <laughs> Canada, again, came through yes. in that one. There you go. Good, there you go. Good. So my shout-out is to my Canadian friends. Um, you know who you are, mostly from Toronto, but uh, also from Montreal and Vancouver. So that's all for now. Thank you for listening to This Catholic Life.